Thank you, Daniel. Happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Thank you. Thank you. Well, just like uh, we did at Mother's Day, uh, we took a break from the sermon series to speak specifically to mothers. We're going to do the same thing today. We were actually scheduled to start a new sermon series today. We're bumping that back to next Sunday so we could spend some time uh, specifically with our dads in the scriptures today. Um, Father's Day, like Mother's Day, um, comes with an assortment of different feelings and emotions around it. We say happy Father's Day, uh, but that may not be where you are today um, as a father or as a child, uh, maybe because of the relationship there that's not what you want it to be. I know for me, it's an assortment of emotions between my just my, my gladness and my thankfulness of being a dad. It's actually one of the favorite things I get to do in this world, um, coupled with sadness of what was missing even from my own story. And so for me, it is both of those things uh, on the same day at the same time. And so I don't know where you are today, but I'm glad you're here. Um, as we speak specifically to, to dads today, uh, moms, actually everybody in the room, uh, don't check out because really today's message is for you, um, whether you're a dad or not. And Students, good to see you, and I love that you're hanging around. Like, that's super cool. I'm glad that you're going to be here to hear uh, the message today, because uh, it just brings to mind a time in my life that was really instrumental and formative uh, when I was a student sitting here after camp, and uh, that's where I became a Christian and began my journey with the Lord. So I'm glad you guys are here with us today. Um, we are going to be in Luke 15, which is where Daniel read. We're going to be in this parable. It's the third parable in Luke 15. Uh, as we look at um, what Jesus is teaching, um, he's already talked about and taught about the lost sheep. If a shepherd loses a sheep, he'll leave the 99 and go after the one. That's what a good shepherd does. Um, he's talked about the lady who lost the coin, how she turns the house over, goes, goes looking for the corn. That's the coin. That's an example of what a person does when they lose something of great value. Of course, we are the coin, and God is the lady in that parable. And now we're in the parable of what's oftentimes referred to as the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we may flip that on its head today um, and call it something else by the time we get done. But dads in the room, um, I suspect if I took a poll and asked you to grade yourself on uh, your job as a dad, one to ten, how are you doing? Um, I would suspect most, also known as all of us, would score ourselves really low. And there would be room for us to say, here's where I want to grow. I want to get better as a dad. Um, I've yet to meet the dad who's like, yeah, I'm killing it. Just crushed it this year. I couldn't imagine being a better dad. Uh, but actually, the opposite is true. When I talk with dads about the, the role and the calling of dad, most of us feel like we're fall, falling like incredibly short um, of what is expected of us, what our children deserve, and what we even want to be. And so here's the good news. I'm going to let you in on a secret today. It's like one of the best secrets I know to life, like the best life hack that I have. I'm going to tell you how to become the best dad you can possibly be today. Okay, that's my promise on the front end. You decide if I deliver that on the back end, but that's where we're going. And so there's this myth I want to dispel today that it says this, that um, unless you had a good dad as an example, you can't be a good dad to your children. It gets worded in different ways. Sometimes um, a dad will say to me, well, I just didn't, I don't know what a good dad looks like. I didn't have one, so I don't have that example to look at. And it's almost like we're approaching 
fatherhood the same way, 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 the same way we approach everything else in life as do-it-yourselfers. If you could just show me the picture on the box of what the playground set is supposed to look like, I can mimic that in my backyard. Now, how does that go, right? How long is it before we end up swallowing our pride and having to go back and pull out the instructions when nobody's looking to figure out what in the world we did wrong? The problem is most of us take that same approach to fatherhood. We look to the example, the picture on the box, and we, if we had a bad example, we say, well, scrap that. Give me another example. You just show me what it looks like. I'll do it. And that's not at all aligned with the truth of Scripture. I did a little research today. just wanted to kind of get my head wrapped around the, the fatherless um, situation in our, in our country. Um, 2021, the Census Bureau did ran some stats. And 18.4 million children that year were growing up in fatherless homes. Okay? Fatherless homes. Seven million kids were growing up in homes where dad was physically present, but emotionally absent. And then you look at the statistics of what happens. You know, our prison system has to have some kind of metric to know how many prisons we need, how big they need to be, and how many beds they need to put in the prisons. And so they look at uh, reading aptitude at the third grade. They look at the foster care system. And they look at the rate of fatherless children in a particular area. Those are like the three most significant metrics to determine the prisons that are going to be needed in 10 to 20 years. Four times children who grow up in homes without fathers are four times more likely to end up in poverty two times more likely to drop out of school, two times more likely to commit crimes, and twice as likely to attempt or to commit suicide. So the statistics would say that our role as dads absolutely matters. And if our goal is to be a better dad, and right now all we're doing is trying to look at the picture on the box and mimic it, and we're still falling immeasurably short, we need some help. We need a, a life hack. We need somebody to step in and say, here's how to do it. Here's how to become a better dad, to be more present with your children, to give them actually what they need besides just your provision. Right? Money in the bank is actually not the number one thing that your kids need. They need you. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, this parable. We'll start here by setting the scene. Verse 11. This is Jesus teaching. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So the parable starts with setting the scene. We've got a dad with two sons. Seems to be a really good dad. 
Like he's worked hard to provide for his family. So much so that there's an inheritance. There are servants who work for him. He has a, a business, seems to be successful. But more than that, he seems to be really in tune with what, what his kids want, what their desires are. So much so that he's like willing to divide his property and his fut- the future inheritance of his kids and go ahead and give it to one of them. And so we see this as a kind and generous dad, not parenting out of fear like the rest of us, right? When I, when I read that story and I think about one of my kids coming to ask for their inheritance, like I know what they're going to do with it, I'm like, uh-uh. I know what you're going to do with this. But he knows. He's not dumb. He knows what's going to happen, and yet he's generous and kind, and he gives his kids what they ask for, and he doesn't parent out of fear. That's the good dad in the story. Then we have a rebellious son. This is a son who knows what he has coming, yet he's not willing to wait for it. So instead of waiting for the story to unfold, for the inheritance to become his one day, he fast-forwards the story. He attempts to take control of his own story. I don't want to wait on Dad. I don't want to wait on this plan unfolding for me. I want to write my own story. And so he musters up the courage to go to Dad, this good Dad, this kind Dad, and ask, hey, I want a third. I want, I want my part of the inheritance. And so literally what he was asking for, I want to try to put this in, in terms that we can grasp. So in this culture, this dad had two sons. The way it would work is when he passed away, all of his wealth would be passed on to his sons, but the oldest son would get twice as much as the rest of the siblings. So that meant this younger son was asking for one-third of the family wealth. Okay? And so that's what the dad gives him. Now, the word in the Greek language, though, is the word bios. When it says he divided his property, that word means life. He divided his life. He tore his life apart to give a third to this son so he could go out. And so we can just feel that emotional tear of what this is doing to the dad. It wasn't like he he went to the safe in the back room and opened it up and pulled out some money and gave it to his son and wished him well. He's literally like tearing apart his life, everything he's worked for, everything he's put together, all the blood, sweat, and tears of provision for this family. And he's just tearing that apart. He's dividing his life and sending his son out with it. So we know this son felt like he knew what was best for him, like most of us. Yet he lacked the self-control to manage this gift well and to live a healthy life. And he ends up losing everything. And we get a picture of this rebellious son who loved his father's possessions more than he loved his father. And he loses it all. And he hits what we might call bottom. And so we'll pick this back up in verse 17. It says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Treat me as one of your hired servants. This part of the story begins with a really interesting phrase. In the English language, we translate it, he came to himself, but the word actually means to arrive somewhere, to come to somewhere. 
And so literally what Jesus is saying is that this son, once he had lost everything, he finally arrived at himself. Which ironically was probably what he was looking for the whole time. He was looking for himself, trying to find himself. He thought, if I had enough money, I'll find it. And he ended up losing all of that. And now here he is, and in this part of the story, he finally arrives at himself. He came to. He woke up. He finally saw what everybody else could see. He came to himself. Now, here's the thing about coming to yourself. This is what we might call or describe as somebody kind of hitting their proverbial bottom and kind of waking up. You may have a family member right now who's engaged in the reckless living and pursuing a a life and trying to find fulfillment in a lot of things that aren't working, and you're praying that they would hit bottom before they die. That's a real prayer. Many of you have prayed that prayer or are praying that right now. Some of you have been the recipient of that prayer, and a family member prayed that for you, that you would hit bottom before you die and wake up or come to yourself. But here's the reality. You cannot force somebody to find themselves. You can't force somebody to wake up. Like, I try. I still try all the time to, to get somebody to see in their story what's so easy for you to see. And it's not until they get to that place where they have nothing left that they come to themselves. And they're willing to look in the mirror and see what you could see all along. And that's where this son is. So he comes to himself. His solution, he doesn't have it all figured out, but he knows where to go, right? I need to go back to dad. Dad will have the answers. There's no way dad's going to let me back into the house as a son, but maybe I could apply for a job at the family business and I could be one of his hired servants. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know where the answer is. Dad has it. And so I'm going to go back to dad. And I already know what I'm going to say. I'm going to start with this. Dad, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is a way of just increasing the magnitude of his understanding of what he did. Like what I did, Dad, was not okay. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Can you feel that his identity is at stake right now in his own heart. There's, I gave that up. When I took dad's money and I left, I forfeited my right to be a son. Now, with, if I'd have gone out and invested it and made a, made a killing and then came home, you know, and just like, hey, I turned it into twice as much, maybe then I could return home with my pride intact as a son. But I lost it all, so I am no longer even worthy to be called a son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And this is where Jesus gets to the point of the story. Everybody in the room can relate to what we've already talked through. But this is where Jesus gets to the point of the parable in verse 10. He says, and he, this is the dad, rose, arose, I'm sorry, no, he, the son, arose and came to the father 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, and embraced him, and kissed him. Jesus is describing this scene to us in a really specific way. This is not what you would expect a dad to do. When the father saw him, now, understand, when he sees the son, we know that the son is barefooted because he's going to ask for shoes. We know his clothes are a mess because he's going to ask for a robe. We know that as he sees the son, he can see the story of what happened. Everything that he knew was going to happen, happened. He can see it. But he doesn't turn his eyes from his son in disgust. He locks eyes with his son, and what does he do? He runs to him. There are biblical uh, commentators and, and Bible scholars who will describe this point in time to try to help us get this scene in our minds. But understand, a father of this standing, like, he wasn't rolling around in, in blue jeans, okay? He had on garments, and he had on undergarments, and he had on a robe, and he was wearing what would be the equivalent of two or three dresses worth of clothing. And so for him to run to his son is somewhat of a comical scene. Like, he literally had to, like, pull up his dress to run. Like, it was very... I'm disrespectful if you were a man of high stature to run. You don't run from anything. You don't run to anything. So they didn't dress to run. But whatever he sees in his son compels something in his heart. He's abandoning all sense of dignity and pride, and he just pulls up his dress and takes off. And he runs. Notice that he does this while the son was still a long way off. I don't know if you've ever had to walk to somebody to, to make an, an apology, like pull it in front of their house, then you walk to the door, like the weight of those footsteps. You ever had any moments of regret like that where you needed to apologize to some, somebody for something and you just felt that shame and that guilt, your feet felt like concrete and you're like, just every step. It's love that the father didn't make the son take all those steps. I love that the father hiked up his dress. He could see the dread. He could see the despair. He could see the humility. He could see the brokenness. And he just, he just runs. He closes the gap to get to his son. And Jesus says this. this we know what he felt in his heart. What did he feel? Compassion. No, no shaming his son, no vengeance, no anger, just compassion for his son. And look what he did. He embraced him and he kissed him. And the Greek word here for embrace, just to give you a word picture, it literally means to touch him on the neck. What the dad does when he gets to the son is he buries his face in his son's neck and just kisses him. Can you see that? You, you know that kind of hug? That kind of hug that says, you are mine. And everything that is in here, I want you to feel it in there. You're mine. And that's the kind of hug this son gets from his dad. He doesn't hold him at a distance. He doesn't tell him to go get cleaned up and meet me in the family room for a talk. 
just wraps him up, embraces him and kisses him. And what we see here is while the son didn't feel worthy to be treated as a son, there were no options for the dad. Immediately, that's my son. Immediately, he's treating him as a son. Now, from here, the son is going to speak. Everything he rehearsed in his heart. Remember that? Everything he had prepared to say. Now, I want to keep in mind, what most of us do is we prepare a story that's riddled with excuses, that's kind of true but not quite true, right? We try to halfway confess what we've done wrong, but according to this parable, the son is holding nothing back. Full confession and vulnerability. So he says what he prepared in his heart. Here's what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's where the son is in this moment. Maybe something about the father's embrace gave him the courage to, to be honest and to confess. But that's where the son is, but where's the father? I love this. Look at what's not in the story. How much of my money do you have left? How did you lose it? Explain yourself to me. None of that. It's like the father didn't even hear the son say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he answered that by doing what? Treating him as a son. Like he just didn't even pay attention to that and yells at his servants. You see that? He doesn't even respond. He doesn't even try to talk him out of it. He just says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Clothe my son properly. Don't let him take one more step with bare feet. And put a ring on his finger, which, which was restoring a signature to the checkbook. He was giving authority for this son to represent the father in binding contracts with a signet ring. Full restoration immediately. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and, what's the word? Celebrate. That word doesn't fit in the human version of this story. Celebrate? I mean, there's room for, I'm thankful you're alive. But throw a party? You, you took a third of my life and lost it all. Yet this is where the father is. He's ready to eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now, Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being this kind of dad. Now how you doing? I thought it was a 4. Is there negative numbers on the scale? Like, Now here's the thing. Here's the good news. The idea that all you need is a good example to look at and then you can pull it off 
being a myth is actually good news because if that were true we would be hopeless i know enough of you to know the stories about your earthly fathers to know that if that's the only way for you to be a good dad you're sunk and guess what so am i sunk but here's the good news that jesus is teaching us that's not the pathway to becoming a good father let me start here with highlighting the three things that I think are most important to this parable, and then we'll, we'll talk about applying it. First of all, Jesus wants you to know God is a good father, clearly. I mean, out of all the other parables, he goes to great length here. Understand, too, this parable is closer to the heart of Jesus than the other parables. He is a good shepherd, but he's actually a son. Like, the father and the son don't refer to themselves that way just so you can relate to them. You were created in their image. The paradigm of father and son have always been. This parable is near and dear, right, to everything that has always been. And so first and foremost, Jesus wants you to know he, his dad is a good dad. His dad is a good father. And he paints a picture of what a good father looks like. Second of all, Jesus wants you and I to know that repentance is a celebration. I know that doesn't fit oftentimes into our human narratives. Repentance feels like this woe is me, pity party. Our heads are downcast. It's the last straw. I'll get it right this time, God. Just, just one more chance. God's not showing up at that party. Like, the response from God towards your repentance is go butcher the fattened calf. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on her. Put shoes on their feet. Let's celebrate. Repentance is a celebration. And the third thing, repentance fully restores us as God's children. Fully, completely, immediately even while you're still a long way off, the Father will close the gap in repentance and meet you where you are, fully restored, signet ring. Now, I shared earlier just about this, my personal struggle with Father's Day. I would say this, at least for now, the older I get, the longer I've been a father, the harder Father's Day becomes for me personally. My excitement and my gladness over being a dad to my two boys, that increases. But my sadness and my grief over what was missing seems to be increasing. The more connected I get to being a dad to Hudson and Calvin, the more I seem to realize just how much was missing from my own story. And I won't give you all the details right now. If you want to hear later, I will. But just so you know, from zero to five, my dad was an absent father. He was into crime, selling drugs and guns, and so he was not home. A few times a year, he would come home. I can remember just a few flash memories. At the age of five, he went to prison for the first time. Got out when I was seven. Was out for just a few weeks before he went back to court for his other charges, and then went back to prison. So I grew up with a mom in the home, doing the best she could. But I grew up with this severe loneliness for a dad. 
as early back as I can remember, even before I prayed, God, bring me a girlfriend in the fourth grade. <laughs> even before then, my earliest memories of prayer were, were this. God, why can't I have a dad? God, I want a dad. God, why is my dad gone? My earliest memories of prayer were around this loneliness and this ache I had because I didn't have a dad, coupled with the shame of getting to know friends who had dads, and they'd say, well, what does your dad do for a living? I'm like, oh, he, he's a cook in prison. Like, the shame of all of that, man, just mounted to the point where somewhere around 14, I began to taste adulthood, and I went full throttle out of adolescence into adulthood. I became incredibly responsible, a really hard worker, and for a few years, it paid off. But all I was doing was running from that ache and that pain and the loneliness of not having a dad in my story. And so I missed out on a lot of childhood. Even with a mom doing the best she could, I was alone a lot, and so I missed out on a lot. I didn't know fully what it was like to be a son. To recognize the smell of your dad's cologne or aftershave, to know what his hugs felt like. I didn't know any of that. Just a void in my story. I had a hunger for it, I had a desire for it, but it was missing. And so I, I bought into that myth for a while. Well, if I'm going to be a good dad, I've got to find an earthly example. And I've got to do that. And I've run that play for a number of years. See, there's something different from looking at the picture on the box and trying to put something together. Like, dads can relate to that, right? Think about a playground set, an intricate playground set. And you're going to go out and put it together, and so you look at the picture of the box, and you start, and you start putting things together, and at some point, you're going to have stuff left over. You're going to need some instructions, right? So there's, that's what it's like to try to put something together by example. But listen, there is something incredibly different when you're the kid who played on the playground set, and now you're putting it together. There's a difference from looking at an example versus having the experience because when you're a kid on the playground set and you've slid down the slide when it's too hot in the summer and the hand, you know, the monkey bars burn your hands and you let go and you got splinters and you turn this thing into a castle and a fort and a house and all these sorts of things and like you've lived in this playground set. You know every crook and cranny, upside down, backwards, forwards, right, left. Now go put that thing together and you know how it goes together. You don't need an example. What you need is an experience. And what Jesus is doing, he's inviting you, dads, into an experience that will make you the best dad you can be. The myth is this. I can't be a good dad unless I had a good dad. Here's the truth. You can't be a good dad until you've learned how to be a son who comes home to the kind of loving father Jesus is teaching you about. My dad orphaned me. My mom didn't, my dad did. I wouldn't use that word to describe my story until a year ago. But once I finally recognized that and went, oh my gosh, that's that aching. I was orphaned. Then I was able to bring that to God, that false identity to God, and have God say, yeah, but you're not an orphan in my home. 
I got to experience the love of the Father that Jesus is teaching about. I didn't just need an example. I needed to experience something. Listen, you don't need another book on parenting. You probably didn't have a perfect dad or perfect childhood either. You need to learn to lean into your identity as a son and a daughter. I'm telling you, once you learn how to become a son and a daughter to receive this kind of love from the Father, you will intuitively know how to parent your kids. Once you get what you need from God, you'll intuitively know what your children need. But when you disconnect from what you need in your story and you just fast forward into adulthood, man, you're shooting in the dark. You don't know what your children need because you don't know what you need. Jesus says this, you're called to love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The pathway to being a good dad starts with your awareness of what you need as a son. Whatever you needed as a kid is what your kids need today. If you keep passing by your own story, dads, just white-knuckling your way through life, trying to give them a better tomorrow than you had, you're going to miss your children. Today would be a great day for you to come to yourself. See, the invitation of the parable isn't, here's how you become a good dad, look at the father in the story and go put it together in the backyard. The point of the parable is this, you and I are prodigal sons and daughters. And our part in the story is to come to ourselves, to come to the end of ourselves, to, to locate ourselves, and then to take that back to the Father. Here's what you need to be a good dad. Starts with repentance. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Second thing is this, experience God as a good dad. To hear the father say, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's what you need today. To be at rock bottom and have nothing left and to bring your nothing to the Father and just find out what kind, of, what kind of God He is. To bring all your mistakes, all of your weakness, all your brokenness, brokenness to Him and say, I have made a mess of things. Can I just be a hired servant in your house, God? And to hear Him say, no. But you can be my son and you can be my daughter. Bring this kid a robe and a ring. Bring some shoes for this kid. This kid that was lost is now found. That's how God celebrates you when you repent and turn back to him. So I want to end here and give you some space to respond. I've got some questions for us to think about. and These questions are for everybody in the room. Students, these are for you. Adults, moms, dads. Those of you who don't have children, those of you who may still be single, I'm just going to ask you to reflect on what we've learned from this parable. 
First question is this, is have you come to the place in your journey where you're willing to look at yourself in the mirror and be honest? Are you still running throttle down, pedal down, just blasting your way through life, hoping that you end up somewhere that's good or helpful or enjoyable? Blinders on. Have you come to the place in your story where you found yourself? Where you've come to? This next question goes along with it. Have you made it to the end of your own efforts to save yourself, fix yourself, or make yourself better? Have you come to that place where you realize you need somebody outside of you to help you? That you're actually powerless? You can no more change yourself than you can the weather. This next question leads us towards repentance. Have you fully confessed and told the whole truth to your Heavenly Father? Have you come to, to God and showed Him what life looks like when you're in charge? And then this last question, it's a really important question. It's one that hangs us up a lot. Are you willing to let the Father restore your identity as a son or a daughter and celebrate your return? Too many of us are like, no, 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 no. I want to ask for forgiveness, but then I want to still be over here. I want to, I'm good, hired servant's good enough. A reluctant father letting me back into his good graces is enough. And God's like, I'm sorry, that's not who I am. If you're coming to me in repentance, I'm celebrating. I'm throwing my arms around you. I'm burying my head in your neck. I'm giving you stuff to wear. Fully restored. Are you willing to let the Father restore your identity as a son or daughter and celebrate your return? It's up to you. I can't, I can't make you come to yourself. The person sitting next to you can't make you come to yourself. Where are you at in your journey? Where are you at in your story? My hope as we pray is that you're at the place where you're ready to meet this kind of dad. So I'm going to pray for us now, and then our worship team is going to come back out. Our prayer partners will be at the front. Our elders will be out in the comments area. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful story that not only reveals so much about who we are, but God, it's so beautifully telling of who you are. You truly are a good father. And God, I'm so thankful today that for the dads in the room that our identity as a father first starts as an identity as a son. Thank you for this invitation, this gracious, open arm invitation for any person in this room to turn to you in repentance and to come home. And Father, thank you for this beautiful truth that when we turn to you, you fully restore us and you celebrate. God, I know there is somebody here today who needs to turn back to you. God, maybe even somebody who's just listening online who needs to, to come to themselves, to find themselves, to awaken and to turn back to you. Oh God, I long for that to happen today. Because when that happens, we have something to celebrate. So Father, as I wrap up this prayer time, as the band gets ready to lead us in songs, the last thing I'm going to ask is that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts this morning. 
where we are asleep, that you would awaken us. Where we are dead, you would cause us to come alive. Where we are headed in the wrong direction, you would turn us around. So Holy Spirit, come. Do what you will with us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name.